0: It's time to write a news story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. Our guest today is proof that sometimes you have to let go of the expectations of others to follow your own dreams. Judy Chu Ju was born into a Korean immigrant family and was pretty much given the choice to pick from a handful of careers. After she spent many years pursuing careers in both engineering and finance, she finally came to the realization that her passion in something totally different, cooking. Fast forward, Judy is now best known as being the host of Food Network's Korean Food Made Simple. She's known as both a judge and contestant for Iron Chef UK and was the first female Iron Chef in the United Kingdom and the second female Iron Chef worldwide. She's an author, restaurant owner, entrepreneur, media personality, and so much more. And you can even hear the fast-paced lifestyle of a New York chef that she lives as she joins us today from the lobby of a downtown Manhattan hotel. Judy, thank you so much for joining us on Success Stories. We are so happy to share your story and have you here today.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. It's such an honor.
0: Of course. Well, I... I am just thrilled by your story. And I know that our listeners will be too, because you overcame a really, really big career transition and career transitions can be really scary. They're huge risk, and they take a lot of courage and confidence. So yeah. I want to start out by asking how you went all the way from engineering to being a chef.
1: Yeah, so I had a rather serendipitous route from engineering to, to the kitchen. Um, it started in the great state of New Jersey, where I was born. So I'm a Jersey girl at the end of the day, I'm try- <laughs> proud and tried and true. And um, I had a very typical kind of immigrant upbringing. You know, born to, to Korean parents, and you know, rather tiger parented, three piano lessons a week. Everything went into our education, even though we never had like nice cars or nice clothes or anything like that. But um, you know, I, 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 got a good discipline and focus from that ended up going to engineering school and, um, science was my entire world. My father was a physician and my mom was a chemist. So it was really the only thing that I was ever exposed to, you know, being a chef was never in the cards. It was considered and, and still is to some extent, particularly in Korea, a very low collar, like blue collar, low class type of job, but like no bragging rights from, 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 from your parents. And so after, um, going to engineering school, literally all of my classmates went into finance and this is 1997 and so I was um, you know um, it was it was everybody was was going into Wall Street as Wolf of Wall Street days you know Bear Stearns Lehman Brothers Solomon so far these guys are still all alive and and um, you know it was like money was growing on trees. And so I went into finance just because that's what everybody else did. And then um, after five years of, you know, selling and trading fixed income derivatives, I kind of got sick of it. And I was like, this is not what I love. I really want to do something that I have a true passion for. And life is too short not to kind of, Love your job, and I was spending so many hours at work. You know, it's uh, when you work in finance, you get paid handsomely, but they really do take your blood, sweat, and tears. You're always on call, even when you're on vacation. You know, back then it was like Blackberries. You're always on your Blackberry, and 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 you don't even have time to spend the money that you make because you're never even allowed to take vacation. I think I took like four days of vacation my my first year, and like three my second year. It was it was it was ridiculous. I was always sick. I was working ridiculous hours, and. I Um, I think I had sinusitis and laryngitis for nine months because I was never sleeping and um, it was just unsustainable. And so I kind of had this epiphany where I was like, you know what, I just want to do what I love. And for me, the whole um, journey of, um, you know, what color is my parachute was, was quite easy. I knew I loved to cook. I knew I wanted to be in, in cooking and I, um, I said, you know what? I'm quitting. And I went to cooking school here in New York City. And the rest is history.
0: That's so That's so fun to hear. And I love that you brought up what color is your parachute. I think a lot of people hearing that know exactly what that is. And if you don't, it's like the book and the topic for career change, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of people... Um, it's it's difficult to kind of try to figure out, and I think this is so timely right now because I feel that one of the key words around COVID was pivot. Everyone had to pivot, whether it was their jobs or restaurants. You know, like restaurants all became like grocery stores, became like you know like like takeaway only. You know, started selling all different types of things, and you know, a lot of people were laid off, and so um, and a lot of people also not only were were laid off, but they were really forced to to look at their careers and themselves professionally professionally and personally and and had some time to reflect and say is this really what I want to be when I grow up is this really what I want to be doing is this who I want to spend the rest of my life with you know is this what I want to do for the rest of my life and I think that you know people were forced to pivot or um kind of had a hard look at themselves and, and, um, you know, kind of had that epiphany of, of like, you know, is this, is this what I want to do? And, um, a lot of people go through that journey and try to figure out, you know, is this what I like? People don't even know what they like to do sometimes and what they want to pivot into, um, which, which is a lot of self-exploration. Um, but, but for me, you know, I was, I was kind of quite lucky because I knew exactly that I wanted to go into food because I just loved it so much. I loved to eat and I loved, um, you know, developing recipes and baking and that kind of played into the whole science background
0: too. So, so you have always kind of known that food was part of your purpose. You may not have known how though, is that that what you're saying? Definitely.
1: Definitely. I knew I wanted to be in food. I loved it. I I read cookbooks like they were novels. They were, you know, stacked on the side of my bed instead of instead of, <laughs> you know, fiction reading. I I I'm back then I was reading Zagets all the time. Like I read Zagets from cover to cover, you know. And um you know, and and I always kept on the pulse of, um, you know, which which restaurants were opening and what chefs were doing, and um, you know, I I loved it. I loved the transporting experiences that restaurants provided. You know, I loved the fact that you know it, it didn't matter if you were in New York City or London or whatever, but if you went to a restaurant just for those few hours, you could get transported to Tokyo for a few hours, or you know, Mexico, or you know, Brazil, or you know. Um, Italy. And I I just, I loved the idea of creating those types of memories for people.
0: You know, as I'm listening to you talk, I can tell that um, cooking and food is not only your purpose, but you really followed your passion to get to that purpose. And I, I want to touch more on that, but something that I want to talk a little bit about is something that I think our audience and our listeners can really resonate with. And that is learning how to be okay with letting go of the expectations of other people. And I think based on your story, you probably had a lot of expectations on you to pursue a certain career or lifestyle that you had to let go of and be okay with disappointing others. How did you become okay with that and move forward and say, listen, trust me, what I'm doing is the right thing for me and I'll show you in the long run.
1: Yeah. um, I think that particularly being from an Asian background, you know, our parents have dreams for us. You know, they want us to be a doctor. They want us to be an engineer. They want us to be a lawyer. They want us to take like the safest route possible. You know, the appetite for risk is quite low for a lot of immigrants. And, um, you know, my my parents were were, were no different. You know, I can't, I came from a family of of, of doctors and, um, you know, and my, my parents, when I said I wanted to go to cooking school were having none of it at all, but you know, it, it made a big difference because I wasn't living under their roof. I think if I was living at home, thank God I wasn't, you know, I think to a certain extent, if you are living off of somebody and not paying rent, you kind of have to listen to them a little bit, you know, but mm-hmm. if you are on your own and paying your own rent and not living at home and living your own life, you have the right to do what you want to do. And so, You know, and life is short. And I think that, you know, COVID has really taught us that, you know, there's so many people whose lives were, were indeed like literally cut short, sadly. And so you only have one life to live on this planet. So make the most of it. And is, um, I think it was Hugh Hefner that said that life is too short to live someone else's dream. Like I didn't want to live my parents' dream for me. I wanted to live my dream for myself, you know? And it, it, it was, it was in food and my parents, you know, if it had it their way, like I would be a doctor somewhere. I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't, I do not want that, you know? And, and, you know, it's it's a different generation, you know, I think particularly with, with immigrants, like, they only knew, like, like three different professions, like, you know, um, I remember um, seeing, you know, particularly being Asian, like, there were certain moments where, you know, I, I kind of, like, I remember seeing Connie Chung on TV, she was the only Asian on TV um, when I was growing up, and, there's another famous quote that you can't become what you can't see and it was really important like i didn't want to be a journalist but it was really important for me to be able to see just an asian female on tv doing something because that made me be able to dream that it was possible to look like me and to be on tv Um, i remember seeing margaret cho the comedian for the first time And I thought she was amazing because I'd never seen a Korean comedian like go that far off piste, you know, and like swearing and being vulgar and like making fun of her parents and making new crude jokes. I thought it was fantastic, you know. It's the first time that I ever seen somebody on stage that wasn't playing the violin that looked like me, you know, or the piano, you know, like seriously though, you know, and so... You know, all these, all these people were, were, were serious pioneers in the Asian-American community, and um, I made it possible for me to dream that, you know what, I can do this. And another pivotal point was when I saw um, a chef n- named Anita Lowe on the cover of Food & Wine magazine. And this is like when I was still in cooking school, I think. And I saw it when I was in the stand, I was in, um, when I was standing in line checking out of a grocery store. And I saw an Asian female on the cover with a bunch of white guys of food and wine. And she was a chef, and her chef white. So I was like, wow, there's an Asian female doing this, you know? And, um, and so that kind of was like, wow, well, maybe I can do this. And that kind of gave me the ability to dream and to have the courage and to, and to you know, say like, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give it a go.
0: You know, Judy, listening to you talk, this is something that we hear all the time, right? Like there are women, there are people out there who say, I didn't know if I could do it because I'd never seen anybody like me do it before. And when they finally see that representation, they have the confidence to go about The pursuit of their dreams themselves. Now, saying that you know, now that you're not just looking to these women saying if they can, I can. Women are looking to you and saying if Judy can do it, you know, I'm watching her. She looks like me. I can move forward because she's moved forward. What does that mean for you to have that impact?
1: Yeah, it's it's really quite an honor. It's quite it's quite humbling, you know. And um, but there's also you know um a lot of responsibility around it you know i i mm-hmm. i kind of um i think that anybody that is in the public eye becomes a role model whether they like it or not you know and and i've heard like you know rock stars or um you know models or whatever who've gotten in trouble for bad behavior and say well i never really wanted to be a role model like it doesn't matter like i didn't ask for this but i think it kind of comes with the territory when you're in the public eye Period. People are going to look up to you, you know, mm-hmm. and that's and that's part of it. You know, it's kind of why, like, you know, if um, Beyonce buys something or the Kardashians buy something or put their like that that thing will like fly off the shelves like hotcakes. Like everybody wants to buy it, you know. So they are copying and imitating these these people. And whenever you're in the public eye, you have to realize that you are setting an example, whether you like it or not. So it is like, you know, and nobody's perfect, you know, so it does, um, you know, and I think that, um, there's an expectation, you know, particularly with people who are huge superstars, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that, that you can't make, make, make a misstep, you know, but people have to understand that, that you're human too and you make mistakes and, um, you're not perfect. So, but I think that, you know, particularly being a minority female, um, everybody is looking at you, even more so because you are one of the first and um, and you always feel like you're representing your entire race when you're the mm-hmm. only one, you know, and it's um, it's kind of like this feeling, you know, when you were um, on a class trip when you're little and you're getting off the school bus and you're on a class trip and the teacher says to you, okay, now everybody behave because you're representing the school and if one person misbehaves and the whole school looks bad, you know, and it's kind of like that when you're Korean, you know what I mean, or you're Asian, like you feel like you're mm-hmm. representing your entire race, you know, uh, or nationality, and you feel like if you do something wrong, like you're gonna, like all Koreans are gonna look bad. So, so there's a little bit of pressure around it, but at the same time, I'm I'm very happy, you know, to 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 cut down the trees and all of the obstacles in front of me and forge a path for many others to come behind me.
0: Well, I mean, that's beautifully said, and and what I'm wondering now is how do you not suppress the pressure, but how do you get past that? Because that's um, going to be a
1: lot. It is and it isn't. I mean, I'm not like super, super famous, so it's not like everything I do gets scrutinized, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, I think it's... Um, you're you're always kind of looking to the next thing, you know. So mm-hmm. um like like for me, and I think this is probably also a, a cultural thing, you never really rest on your laurels, you know? You're like, okay, what's next? What do I do next? How do I keep growing? How do I keep expanding? You know, how mm-hmm. do I how do I get to the next level? And um it's uh yeah, I, I think that it's always trying to um you know stay Relevant, I think, you know, because it's it's so easy, kind of, just to, just to do something and just kind of fall away in, in, into the background and never get to your next thing. But as you know, um, you know, you're kind of um, until you get to a certain level, at least, you're kind of only as good as your last accomplishment. So, you know, you're always looking to the next thing,
0: right? And and you're talking a lot about, you know, the the impact and everything the wonderful impact that you've had on, you know, being a relatable face and, and really embracing, you know, your Asian culture. And something that I want to talk about and that I'm wondering is what, what is your driving force in embracing your culture and sharing that with other people on such a broad platform? Because culture is so important. What do you hope to do with the influence that you have? Yeah, so
1: I, I absolutely, um, obviously, this is why I do this. Like, I, I love Korean culture, and I'm so incredibly proud to be Korean. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people still don't understand the differences and the cultural differences within Asia. And, um, you know, that Korea is very different from Japan and very different from China and Thailand and Vietnam and all of the stuff. And there's a tendency to kind of group all of Asia together into this, like, pan-Asian, you know, one country type continent thing. And so um, one of the things that I I try, you know, very, very hard to do is to show off um, Korea's uniqueness because it's so incredibly different. And I think that um, for whatever reason, you know, um, people don't actually understand the the different cultural intricacies within Asia and that every country has its own language, has its own religion, has its own culture. You know, Asia is so incredibly fragmented. I mean, if you just think about, like, the differences between a Chinese restaurant versus a Japanese restaurant, you know, it's 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 night and day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, the people may, may look somewhat similar, but culturally, the Chinese are so different from the Japanese, so different from the Thais. And, and people need to realize that, that the Koreans have their own unique culture, too. And um, a lot of, you know, um, in, in many ways, Korea is kind of like the wow. hidden... Um, Kind of like the hidden gem of Korea, because I feel that the, that the country, for whatever reason in the past, hasn't done a very good job of marketing some themselves. Now, because of um, you know K-pop and um, you know Korean dramas, um, the, the popularity of Korean culture has really skyrocketed in my lifetime, it's, it's, and it's created this really kind of amazing cultural voyeurism where people are obsessed with Korean culture. Um, and but to the same extent, you know, people know what a Chinese traditional dress looks like, like like that high Mandarin collar, and they know what a Japanese kimono looks like, and they can even call it a kimono. But nobody really knows what the t- traditional Korean dress is called. It's called a hanbok, or what it looks like. You know, um, people can name lots of Japanese foods. You know, tons of Japanese foods by name and by their proper name. You know, like wasabi and teriyaki and sushi, etc. But you don't have the same thing going on with the Korean culture, like maybe kimchi, but very few people can actually, you know, I mean, like, probably in, in New York, because it's more mainstream, but, you know, people don't really know what gochujang is, they don't really know what tenjang is, they, they'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who can name more than, like, two Korean dishes, you know. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to kind of, you know, really wave the, the Korean flag, and, and to um, really show off a lot of Korea's really, you know, like like beautiful colors and and, and the culture of, of of Korea.
0: Yeah. That's so wonderful to hear. And and it's amazing to have people like you out there who are are really taking the initiative and taking it amongst themselves to share that culture and to celebrate it and to to let it be known that you embrace all it is about you and that you want to serve as not only like you know, a professional chef, but somebody who other people can relate to and resonate with and think that, you know, they did it. So, so can I, and really serve as that, you know, face of relatability while celebrating your culture and everything. And, um, something that I would love to talk about is, you know, through your, your influence and and everything, Mm -hmm. what hope do you have to make on, on women specifically, it can be, you know, women in the Korean community, women in general, what hope do you have to um, to make on women?
1: Well, you know, coming from two male dominated careers, you know, um, wall street, you know, finance, where I was working on the trading floor where there are even fewer, fewer women and then going into kitchens. One thing that, um, I've noticed is that we as women are for whatever reason, um, Reluctant to ask for raises, ask for promotions, to ask for what we deserve, you know? And Whereas, like, the men just ask for raises and promotions even when they don't deserve them. Like, they think they're mm-hmm. absolutely more qualified, that they deserve it, that they... And and, and they ask for the moon. And I see this all the time in my kitchens. You know, I have, you know, women chefs who are technically flawless, never late, show up on time, you know, so creative, etc. And they never ask for anything. And it's like the guys who are, like, late, sloppy, blah, 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 and all this stuff, they're like, I want a raise, I want a promotion, like, all the time. And they're mm-hmm. never afraid. And they're almost, like, entitled about it. You know, like, I deserve this. Where women are just so much more thoughtful about it, and and I've been guilty of this in the past too. You know, like I feel that I've been underqualified for every single job I've ever taken, in my own view. But I still take it. You know, um, and and I have friends who who still to this day like like second guess themselves. We're like the guys never do. You know, and mm-hmm. um, I remember having a conversation. Um, about this. You know, I mentioned this, um, I gave the commencement speech at Columbia University, um, to the graduating class of 2018. And I, and I mentioned this like, like women, we have to ask for what we deserve, you know, and, and the Dean then she's now provost of, um, of, of Columbia. So provost, um, voice, she, um, she was the dean of the engineering school, the first female dean. And she, they were recruiting for, for faculty at the engineering school. And you know, as you know, like Columbia is one of the best schools in, in university, so anybody that's going to apply for a job there is going to be top of their game. And she's been doing this for a while, but she said it was the first year that she's ever seen women negotiate their salary. Wow. In 2018, yeah. And they were just kind of like taking it. So, like even like applying for like a top tenureship, a uh, top university. When you're at the top, top, top of your game, they still weren't negotiating salaries, you know. And I think it's just like like we're, like we're too thoughtful, you know. Like like we're, like we're too empathetic. We're like, oh, I don't want to make them feel bad, or <laughs> whatever, you know, I don't want to be push put, push my employer, which is true. Like we are much more empathetic and compassionate beings and thoughtful beings, like mindful. And I think that that's part of the problem because we're not so selfish <laughs> and and i think you know no it's true though you know because like we're always yeah. like thinking of, of, of other people and i don't want to ha- make them feel uncomfortable but th- at the same time like men have no problem doing this they have no problem saying you know i want 20 percent more and i want this and I want, I want this and we need to do that more
0: No, you're absolutely right. And just like having the courage like to, like you did to, you know, do a career change. It takes a lot of courage to step up and demand the things that you deserve. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversation.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's a great way to put it. Um, I want to get back to this conversation. We're going to take a quick break really quick, but, uh, we'll be back just right after this break. All right, Judy, you were just telling us about, you know, the influence and the impact that you want to have on women. And I want to know what it really means for you and how you feel every day going into work in such a male dominated field. Do you feel like, you know, you really have to shatter ceilings or, or what, what do you feel on a day-to-day basis? You know what?
1: Um, You don't really feel anything on a day-to-day basis. At least Mm -hmm. I don't because I'm so used to it. Okay, it's like like you live it every single day, you know. So so you're just completely used to always climbing uphill, and I think that most minority women are. <laughs> it's just you know it's it's just it's just a part of life, you know. And you just deal with it on a on a day to day basis. It's it's this it's just normal. You don't know it in any other way, but um you know. And and there are times where you definitely see it more, um, you, you definitely feel it more. Like you know that like this person would have never have spoke to you this way if, if you were a man. Uh, they would never have said this to you if you're a man, you know? And I, I have this, um, funny expression and particularly like when trying to negotiate deals, you know, I wish I had a, like a white male suit that I could just put on, you know, <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> like, like a tall, like a tall white male suit, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, because people do treat you differently on the way that, that you look. And, um, and and they treat women differently. They like treat men differently. And, and particularly when in, um, in difficult you know uh, conversations etc. Like you know um, yeah definitely. And and they'll always like try to like try things on with like women more so than with men. Like they'll try to get away with it. You know whereas like they wouldn't dare if 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 you were a guy. You know they would mm-hmm. never dare to say that. They would never dare do
0: that. Yeah. So do you feel like sometimes you have to, um, I don't want to say put on a, a brave face, but do you feel like you have to have a little bit more tough skin, and a little bit more courage than your male counterparts?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. You have to have thicker skin and you have to have mm-hmm. more patience because I think that we deal with more than, than the average white guy does because like people are always just trying to get away with it with us like they're just testing the system with us all the time you know mm-hmm. and um, you know like just just like bad behavior and you just have to kind of be like look just, just just don't like don't even try you know like and I know for a fact like they would never ask that of me if mm-hmm. I were a man you know
0: right Right. Yeah. Um, no, you're totally right. And then something yeah. I want to circle back around to Judy is, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, we were just talking about courage, thick skin and everything, but also we we're talking earlier about letting go of other people's expectations, right? We see all the time how hard it is to, you know, go about your own life and the way that you think is fit for your dreams and for your aspirations and goals but it can be really hard to let go of what other people expect from you. You know, we saw that with Simone Biles over the Olympics this past summer Yes, Um, and you were able, you were able to do that really fearlessly from what it seems like. And I know that a lot of people listening to this podcast would love to hear your advice on how you were able to obtain that courage and move forward and, and let go. What would you tell to somebody who is looking to maybe make similar moves in their life and follow their passion?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that you have to kind of be at like a a turning point, you know, and there's, there's a little bit of love and hate involved. You have to kind of have a push and a pull. So when I say love and hate, you know, you have to be pretty unhappy in the place you are to kind of push you out of it. You know, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, you have to kind of dislike or hate the situation like your job your your, your boss or something to, to kind of get you thinking about it you know because if you're perfectly happy where you are then 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 you, there's no reason to leave and then you have to have the lure like the temptation on the other side you know mm-hmm. and kind of see that the grass is greener see like the beautiful like lovely you know <laughs> like uh like you know gardens of babylon on the other side to kind of draw you to it
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um and then that's kind of starts the wheels in your head moving. And and then you just kind of have to like take the plunge and you just have to believe in yourself. And it's, it's, it's a ton of failure. It really is. You know, like it's like this, this podcast is called, you know, success. And, and, a deep part of success is failure. It is, it is part of, of the journey. Like, I have more stories of failure than I do of success, and I think that people have to understand that because I think the younger generation um, in particular, like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's difficult, you know, because um, there's just so much expectation, and, um, but everybody falls down. Everyone mm-hmm. fails. It's just about how you get up that's going to distinguish you from everybody else, you know, and mm-hmm. it is part of success. Like, you know, there, there, there are so many doors and things that I didn't get, rejection letters, rejection letter after another. It, mm-hmm. it, it is part of the journey. So learn to embrace it and get used to it. And then you'll find success eventually. It is part of it, so I would say just don't get frustrated and mm-hmm. learn from every single, every single experience. You know, and and this is applicable everywhere. Like, you know, even just in, in finding love, you have to date so many people until you find that right person. Mm-hmm. You know, and and is and every relationship is not a failure. Every relationship is just is a learning experience that gets you closer to finding. What you like and what you don't like—it's like an anthropological study, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of who, of, of like who, of who you want to be with, what you can tolerate, what you can't, what you're willing to compromise on, you know, what you're not. And the same is when pursuing your career, you know, what do you like, what do you want to do, you know, like what turns you on, what gets you excited, you know, um, mm-hmm. all of that. And, and that is a learning process, and 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 part of that's to like, what type of people do you want to work with? Like, who do you want to work with? You know, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, you know, you you bring this up about failure, right? And I mean, that's that's a great point because success is often and most of the time a result of resilience. And resilience, they say, is a muscle. How do you strengthen a muscle? You have to work it out. So the only way to build up that muscle of resilience is to overcome. Failure. The more you do that, the more successful you're going to be. The more times Absolutely. you can stand up, you know, the stronger you're going to be. So, what are some times that maybe you've had to overcome? Can you tell us about a few times that you've had to overcome failure or disappointment and how it resulted in the long run in your success or maybe a new opportunity?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was trying to get um, my first show, Korean Food Made Simple, off the ground for years years before food network picked it up Mm -hmm. and there were so many you know doors that were just closing nope too small too esoteric too small cuisine nobody's interested too narrow everything you know zero in interest and finally after years it got picked up and then it had two seasons you know um so it's just about of i think it's about believing in yourself and just never giving up and Mm -hmm. to um just have that confidence mm-hmm. and um, passion, and and I think that if if you just stick at it and you really believe in what you're doing, you'll get there eventually.
0: In mm-hmm. that two yeah. year time span, did you ever feel like giving up?
1: Oh, of course, absolutely. And you have to understand that, like you know, times change. You know, so. It wasn't perhaps the right time, you know, during this time also when people were saying, no, it's too small, you know, and now Korea's got, had a massive resurgence and Korean culture is, 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 all the rage. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they were, you know, saying poo-poo to Korean food. They were also saying poo-poo to every single baking show. They were saying that baking is never going to have a time on, on television. All the ingredients are white. You put it in the oven. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing about it. And now all the best shows on television are all about baking. Mm-hmm. so it, it, things change and things that people tell you when you get rejected might be the hottest thing in a year, you know, so it's about timing as well.
0: Absolutely. And have you ever heard the saying that if somebody is rejecting your ideas or somebody says they don't understand, or that it's, you know, they've never seen it done before, uh, that, or I think it's, if somebody's rejecting your ideas and says that they don't understand them, it's just because they've never seen them done before. Have you ever see, heard that?
1: absolutely you know and and people are are also you know afraid to think out of the box they're afraid Mm -hmm. to do something that um hasn't been done done before i think that um you know timing is is key and i think that like people also um particularly now have more of um of, of, an appetite for risk a little bit, because you're seeing so many companies, you know, disrupt the normal business models, um, these, these days that I think that it's spilling over into many different industries and people want something new. They want a new voice. They want to try something different.
0: Absolutely. And would you say that when you overcome, like, maybe when you overcome one risk and it works out in your favor, is that kind of an addicting <sighs> feeling like, like that success?
1: Um, well, I wouldn't say it's an addictive feeling, like you're happy, okay. but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's because it doesn't always happen again quickly. So you can't get addicted to it. It's not, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Like you'll have one success and then like 10 more failures right after that. And then another success and then like 20 more failures and then like another, you know, so it's,
0: it's, 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 yeah, it's, um, you've got to always work at it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we we talked about you know you mentioned trying to get your show off the ground and those failures. But I want to ask you, you know, what is something that you're most proud of? What is the success that you you hold dearest to your heart?
1: Um, you know what I I would say that I am very happy that I of a few you know, Koreans and Asian females that is in the media, in the cooking world, you know, that that's made it to this level because there aren't many. And one of the most, um, touching pieces of fan mail that I got was an email from, um, a woman in like, I don't even remember. I I think it was like Washington state. And she showed me uh, a picture of her daughter who dressed up as me for Halloween and as a chef and it was really just because and and she said it's just because i was the only other korean female that she's seen on tv that she could dress up as you know what i mean so you know so that is just i think important just to see somebody else that she can relate to Mm -hmm. that she can look up to you know so i think that um being in the media um, and having that presence is important to the younger generation, just in the same way like Margaret Cho was to me and Connie Chung was to me. Anita Lowe. it mm-hmm. allows these the younger generation to to dream because you can't, you know, you can't dream to become something what you don't see. And, and and maybe she doesn't want to be a chef or anything. In the same way, I didn't want to be a journalist, but just mm-hmm. seeing somebody in media on TV in the print, I think is important just to show her that that there is a place to be in the public eye when she looks like she does.
0: You are so right. And that story, I mean, I'm sitting here like like in awe. That story is so heartwarming. And
1: I'm, (laughs) I'm wondering,
0: did you did you realize that your impact wasn't just on maybe women who were approaching their professional careers or, you know, like who watch your show, but that it had reached a generation of, of kids. Like you are inspiring little kids. How does that make you yeah. feel? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what I find the most rewarding. You know, um, I think that that's the, the real thing because there are so few Korean females and Asian females that are, are in the public eye and so i think that it's it's an important place um for me to be and and you know particularly being asian i think the whole like you know career change of going to an ivy league school and then just like you know saying bye-bye mom and dad i don't care what you guys think and just doing you know going (laughs) off piece and doing your own thing um particularly resonates i think with, with a lot of um you know, uh, of of the newer generation who want to pursue creative fields, who want to do something that isn't a doctor or a lawyer, you know, something that that their parents don't understand, who want to, you know, become comedians, actors, uh, you know, doing things that, that, you know, becoming writers, like doing things that, that, that are not traditional immigrant type you know, jobs, I guess, you know, that the parents wanted for them. So I think, it, uh, you know, people need to have the courage to see that, you know, you don't have to do what your parents want you to do. I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it, you're totally right because of course our parents, like, I mean, like from the time we're, we're, we're little, they all have ideas about what we should pursue in our lives, right. Depending on yeah. their experiences and their upbringings, like that is definitely a factor in the things that we go on to study and to, to, you know, try and pursue as a professional career. So, um, knowing that you have a, a choice is not something that a lot of people are taught.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's always like, kind of like the most stable you know um, job that they want you to do you know like and it's it's never anything in the creative field you know like you would never really find somebody you know encouraging somebody just to be a starving artist you know but
0: but but, but why not right right and I mean there's gotta be a level of protection there too but just like knowing and being confident enough in yourself I'm sure to say just trust me trust me I'm gonna make it trust me but just watch and see Judy where, you know, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you so much and I know that you're on the food network on iron chef, but where can our listeners find you and learn more about you?
1: Um, well i'm in the process of relaunching my website now so hopefully that'll come online in a couple of weeks so that's judyju.com but in the meantime they can find me on instagram at judyju chef and uh, facebook also under the same handle and and twitter uh, but i probably most most uh, most most definitely instagram judyju chef that's the one that i kind of do the most on yeah
0: okay awesome do you share cooking videos on them
1: yeah, I do. I do. And, um, and if you're ever like hop, hopping the pond, of course you can try my food at my restaurants of Soulbird and check out, um, uh, soul bird.com. Yeah. S E O U L.
0: Awesome. Well, I know that, um, we're wrapping up. I just have to say really quick though, as we're talking about your Instagram and your, your food and cooking videos, I think it would be really, really scary to go out there and try, like, I know this is totally off topic, but to cook like a dish that I've never, I can't even begin to know what goes into it. Right. So Mm. like, as far as like your dishes and everything go, do you have like a starting base that you recommend people, you know, kind of start out at if they've never made Korean food before?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, well, my first book, Korean Food Made Simple, really is the 101 uh, of Korean cooking. And it's very easy. And just even something just like a Korean barbecue, you know, you don't need to go to a Korean grocery store. It's just like soy sauce, you know, uh, ginger, garlic, salmon, um, you know, like uh, ingredients that you can find in, in a regular grocery store in, in the um, kind of like ethnic food aisle um, is, is really easy and super tasty and great place to start.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well Judy, thank you so much for coming on. Your yeah, confidence you and you so courage. Much. Your confidence and courage is so inspiring and and your thank story you. and what you're doing to, you know, serve as inspiration and a relatable public figure to these young girls is so amazing. You have such a big impact and we love seeing people like you who embrace their authenticity and culture and use it in their influence as their shattering ceiling. So thank you so much, Judy, for coming on here. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I hope that we get to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. Thank you very much. This has been success stories with Madison Piper.
1: If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.